Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. This week on the show, we're dissecting some of the more interesting comments from the examiner's reports issued this week, before getting to news stories on the fall from grace for a major company seeking an IPO, and why fruit and veg is rotting in the UK. I'm Connor, and I'm joined today by Alan. Hello, everybody. So, Alan, the examiner reports came out this week, and we are always harping on about the value that can be found in these. Yes. Um, I have had the fortune of going through the majority of them at this stage. So I thought what we'd do this week is I've taken some of some different points from different ones, and I'm going to read you these quotes okay. and see if you can identify what report that might be for. Um, or really if it might be applicable for more than one. Perfect. We'll give that a go and see where we so, end up. Another way to test you yeah, on this, I, I like <laughs> if there were, wasn't as many already. Okay, so the, the first quote here. There is still a lack of understanding of basic double entry skills, with candidates often confusing assets with liabilities. That could be anything. That uh, It can't be. I presume it's financial reporting. It's so, not. It couldn't be SPOR, surely. It's, it, believe it or not, it is advanced audit. Oh my goodness! So okay. this is one of the things which we're continuing to see, um, particularly in the advanced audit paper. But in, I, I think it's mentioned in regular audit, and then obviously it's something mm. in financial reporting and SPOR. But it's um, a big part of the audit exam is you know a knowledge of financial reporting because yes. you're finding misstatements in the financial statements and how you would have to adjust for that or what would be the correcting entry and they're really clear that students and these could be the same students who are passing the other exams but they're not making that connection in the audit exam. I I find it given my background highly disturbing that uh, people studying for the professional exams don't understand debits and credits and are struggling with that um, at such a level. It's kind of, in one way, you're impressed that they've got that far yeah. <laughs> without it ever yeah. being an issue. Um, <clears throat> but it's a real shame that such a basic skill could be causing you to fail exams or not yeah. do as well as you could. Um, and it is that kind of, it is that thing about studying for exams, just for the exam and then effectively not remembering the knowledge afterwards. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's real evidence that they're not building on the knowledge, that it's just... Uh, it's just they're just learning to pass an exam yeah. and they're not actually learning but the knowledge that will help them. When you get that foundation of strong double entry, you'll it'll make all your financial reporting exams, obviously if you're doing the audit stream as well, so much easier. And you can, you know, you have a platform to show off those skills yeah, in well, a range I, of different exams. You know, I believe that there's no accounting problem that can't be solved with, with double entry or using T-accounts. That's it. Everybody's <laughs> probably saying, what's a T-account? But... Like yeah. that that's kind of that was drilled into me when I was 14 years of age I was thought that and uh, yeah there is nothing that can't be solved that day and it's a real shame and I think um, students should I keep promising that eventually I'm going to make a video and make it available for anybody who's interested in watching it on, on double entry and uh, debits and credits and I'm more encouraged to do that now so maybe yeah. maybe that's what we should do to help people yeah and I think it it also just brings up the point of you know how all these subjects are interlinked and you do have to even if it's not specifically on a syllabus do try bring those knowledge um, that you've kind of gathered in other subjects into each exam well it's a real example of somebody doing financial reporting and possibly SBR and then thinking 
not kind of thinking that anything that they've done in the past yeah, any will, relationship ever will ever be relevant to audit. Audit's a completely different subject and I'm starting again and I'm learning all the stuff for audit and it's a it's a real shame and I think the people who are getting through their exams the first time and getting comfortably in that 60% bracket are those ones who are probably um, who are probably building on the knowledge and who have spotted that there's a real connection between all the exams and, and benefiting from that as well. Okay, so second quote. Candidates often seem to lack confidence in discussing their own figures, but can be reassured that sensible, appropriate comments based on their own figures will be awarded marks by the marker. These aren't as easy as I thought. <laughs> no, uh, they're uh, not designed to be. I'm, go- I'm going to say financial management. Yes. Oh, well, well. Um, because I, I, just because it's the one subject that you have to calculate a lot and um, compare and, and, and contrast and discuss the figures that you've calculated. And I know students, um, I think the financial management um, examining team have often raised the fact that a lot of people in that exam do the, um, do the figures okay, but they don't discuss them. And, I, and, I, and it seems to be still a theme that I don't know whether it's a lack of confidence or they're afraid to talk about their numbers. But if they make good comments about their numbers, even though their numbers are wrong, yeah. they'll still get marks and, for it. And I think that's what they're trying to say. And you do see that featured in some of the other examiner reports. But it is, as, as they said, um, sensible, appropriate comments. So even if you've made a mistake in the figure, yeah. if your logic and train of thought with regard to what you have calculated yeah. is sound, you'll get the marks. Like the, probably one of the most popular questions in financial management is something around net present value. And no matter what you've calculated as a number, if you're giving sound advice based on the number yeah, yeah. you have calculated, you'll get marked for that. Yeah. And uh, but and, and they can be, you know, once you you make that connection, they can be easy marks to get oh, when simple. you. It's just about understanding like, the, the the kind of theory and how you can discuss that. Yeah, so yes or no to the project, even by yeah. saying yes or no and why, even by knowing that the positive is a yes and the negative is a no. Even saying that, that will get you marks because that's what the examiner is looking yeah. for. What advice do you give based on your calculations? So yeah, and it, that, and that again, um, like most of these points, they do span across different subjects. But that's the same, you know. If if you'll see kind of ratio analysis in in different subjects like audit, yeah. and while you might make a slight calculation error, if you're still making valid comments on those ratios, you you, you will get, get the marks. Mark. There's, there's nothing mark. worse than kind of go, I'm nearly sure I've got that wrong, so I'm not going to bother using yeah, it yeah. again. And what if you got it right? What if, <laughs> so you just can't second guess yourself. You just do the best with the calculations and then you treat the, the, the comments you make on those calculations as nearly a separate piece of work and act like the examiner has given you those numbers and asked you to comment. And you, you just have to kind of um, separate those two out. Okay, so next quote. Although this examination did not follow a timeline, it is recommended that candidates answer the requirements in order. I'm going to say SBL. You are correct. Oh, okay. so, and, yeah. and again, that's actually something that was brought up recently. That um, and the right because it doesn't follow a timeline. But I think if you look at any of the SBL exams, the examining team has noted that again they mentioned not a timeline, but it is the slight building blocks. Yeah, there is a I think so. there is a link, and there's a reason why. They haven't just kind of, let's say they've asked you five questions in the last exam. They haven't kind of put one to five or the questions into a little hat and picked out which goes number one. They have thought about why they're asking in such an order. And I know it's different. And and students have asked before, why is it different? Because um, with any other exam, I can do it in whatever order. But think of SBL isn't five questions. It's one question with five parts. And think of it, very rarely would you answer part C 
in an exam without doing A and B first yeah, of any yeah. question. And um, SBL should be looked at like that. It's one. It's only one question. ACCA consider it as just one question with multiple parts in that question. And I think one of the other things in the report, which they make cl- very clear this sitting and last sitting with this comment, is they always kind of say that while it wasn't in this examination following a timeline, that this is something that could be examined soon. And it seems like they're building some of that into it. And it's it's the same as you see in lots of exams. There There is always a logical way to um, approach it because there's always parts of your answer you can link back to other answers. Mm. And there's stuff that if you calculate early, you can bring into um, your later exam. And it's so we have that in this comments from SBL, but I think it's it's really important. Um, and you mentioned it about doing, you know, parts A, then B, then C. Yeah. You see it in lots of exams and candidates don't always follow this. But, you know, again, for something like audit and let's bring back those ratios, you could have part A, you calculate a few ratios. Part B, you have to do the business risks facing an organization. But candidates know business risks. They've read the paper, they see a few and they jump into that. But you're getting, you know, if you've done your ratios, you're getting three or four free risks there because they could have a, a profit issue. They could have a liquidity issue. So all of that feeds in. So it's really important when you look at a question, think, how can I use information from different parts of my answers to help other parts? Well, as I said, the examiners haven't put those questions in that order at random. They've thought about the order as well. And there's a reason why they they think that they're effectively recommending you to do it in that order. Why would you not listen to them? Okay, this one might be hard because, again, (laughs) some of these could be applicable um, all around. But... Many candidates have clearly been taught that they should define in their answer any jargon terms in the question requirement. However, they are wrong to assume that this alone will provide a passing answer in an exam principally about application and evaluation in a business scenario. Ooh, that was a long one. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm going to guess. Uh, nobody can see me squirming here where I get embarrassed if I get this wrong. Um, I'm going to say advanced performance management. Yes, oh, very well, good. That's, that's, that's pretty good. So uh, you know which exam has the most jargon in it. But, that's, but that's what it is because yeah. it, is, it probably, if you think about it, it's the it's the exam with the content that has the most jargon in it. And there is a lot of models applicable and right throughout it. And examiner, like if you're going to write JIT for just in time or if you're going to write other short jargon yeah. things, that could be just something that you remember and what the examining team are clearly looking for is proof that you understand it. Yeah. So you can't just write kind of a whole lot of acronyms in a paper and hope you're going to get marks for for writing now, abbreviations at the beginning and not applying it. And I think, you know, what they're seeing is um, that yeah, people see these questions and it might be um, a company is is implementing uh, just in time into their production process mm. and they might be doing that already and then people are starting these reports saying these are the benefits of just in time you should think about implementing just in time this is how it's done the examiner is currently falling it, asleep yeah. and giving you zero whereas and it's still waiting for you to get to the point that yeah. is being asked in the requirement so I think that that whole thing of not giving just jargon definitions ties into not reading the requirement yeah. um, or in cases maybe students don't know the answer to the actual question so they just start writing everything they know about something yeah, else the, and these then examiners they're are time. not dumb yeah they're not they're not they're very they clever people <laughs> who, yeah they know these they know students they've seen every possible avenue of somebody trying to feed them absolute rubbish in the hope that they get marks so they're not going to fall for that you're better off 
spending 10 minutes writing nothing and trying to come up with the, the best answer possible than actually launching into writing three pages of, of rubbish. Because at least if you if you spend 10 minutes thinking about it and it's still not a great answer, but if you only make three points, but they're valid points, you'll get, probably get more marks than three pages of absolute ru- rubbish that's not related to the question at all. And remember, the hints are in the question, especially in APM, the hints are in the scenarios yeah. and the question. Yeah, yeah. Just keep reading it until something pops into your head. If you've done yeah. the work, it'll eventually sink in. Okay, I'll be amazed if you can narrow this one down. <laughs> the increase in irrelevant points seems to stem from a lack of understanding of the scenario and a lack of question practice. Oh, that's a, that, well, that's a hard one because it's the same for it every could, single subject. I could be, yeah. I could be I, I can't be the ones I've said already, so I'm going to go for advanced financial management. It was audit and assurance. Ah. But as I said, I think that that probably that quote is probably in some variation of that in every examiner report. Because um, when people are, have a lack of understanding on how to apply things to a scenario, that's directly linked to not practicing questions. You can know the theory inside out. And that's what the issue is, is people know the theory. So they're writing irrelevant points from that theory, like we just said earlier. But it's only when you practice different scenarios through question practice that you see how you can you can link that in, yeah. link that theory. Well, the ACC exams have really evolved. Uh, like they've definitely evolved since I did them. But they've they've really evolved even over the last kind of five to ten years. Um, and it seems that every single exam is given is is concentrating on application. That they're they really are pushing you to be job ready for want of a better description. And um, like, if you're going to go into, imagine going into an interview and you mentioned just in time earlier, imagine going into an interview and somebody says to you, we're having issues with um, some part of our, our process or delivery or holding stock for a, for a manufacturing process. I'm, I'm just wondering, do you have any advice? Could you imagine if you sat there and said, well, the five main points about just-in-time are one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd still be talking while they're wheeling you yeah, out of the interview. You'd terrify them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, that's not what they're looking at. They're looking to kind of for you to be able to talk to them. Because let's say there's five points about just-in-time. Their issue might be just one of them. And they want you to talk for the whole time about mm. the significant or the, the main part that, that impacts them. But they're never going to ask you to kind of define. I'm, in any interview I've ever been in, they've never said, can you define IFRS 25 for me? No, and I don't think I want to work in that. <laughs> <I don't> know, <laughs> if if, if they do, I think I just stand up and say, this is probably not for yeah. me. Um, and that's the way you have to think going into the exam. And Again, no matter how many times I'm at the, the examiner report, say, I would say if anybody who's listened to all of these podcasts could probably say, oh, they're saying the same thing again and again. Mm. But that's because nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're not listening to the examiners because the exa- I'd say if we look back at the last three sets of examiner reports, we could find comments like this. Yeah. It's nearly, I'm not saying they're copying and pasting the comments because they're not, but there is an element of like, are they not listening? And if an examiner keeps on making the same point, they're going to keep on examining the same point. So if students aren't listening, they're going to say, well, until you listen, we're going to keep on demanding this skill set. Yeah. So by listening to the examiner, no matter which report it is, I would say you, the one thing you should remember more than any piece of theory is what the examiner recommends for you to do and not to do in an exam. And you should go into those. If you go into any exam with those points in your head, 
Yeah, you're already on you're a you're already on a, on a on your well on your way to fifty and above, because think about it. Somebody's told you to act in a certain way and you'll do well, and you decide no. I think I'll do it my way because that's better. <laughs> it is if you're marking your own paper, but not in this case. So I think listen to these comments, and, yeah. and I know we're laughing a little bit about it now, but. Uh, you should know every single line of those examiner reports. Yeah, and we will have all our, um, so if you want to find out all the details from these reports, not the few quotes I've picked, we have all our exam report debrief videos going up on the site this week. Yeah, so please, please watch them, <laughs> please. If you're enjoying listening to the Forget the Numbers podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us on your podcast provider. Our first story this week is about the office sharing giant WeWork, who not long ago we were talking about its huge valuation leading towards its IPO. How's that going? (laughs) Which has quickly changed that, and that's not that long ago. So at one point, the company was valued as high as $47 billion uh, before investors began questioning its business model, their huge ongoing losses. Um, and a number of other scandals, one of which I'll mention later. Um, The valuation has now been slashed in half um, before their IPO was withdrawn and their controversial CEO stepped down. And this week, they even look set to sack at least 2,000 people, which is about 13% of their workforce. So quite a dramatic fall from grace and probably a lesson in due diligence. It really (laughs) is. like The fact that they got as far as they did to... The public, because that valuation of forty-seven billion, I think, was originally based on how many shares they're going to issue and, and yeah, what they yeah. the, the share price they obviously hoped for. Yeah, and he'd sell and some y- back. And yeah, and you kind of think how because like I know and we've been in rework buildings in the past, and you kind of think well, like they're renting that. Like, what assets do they have? Mm. Like, what what what's kind of and like it's it's property it's yeah. kind of and they're making billions in losses a year I yeah. think it was it was 700 million a quarter they were yeah saying. like how could you like because it's a it's a pretty in a, in a funny way it should be a simple model you rent a building off somebody and you rent to somebody else more than you're paying mm. them yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the difference is the profit yeah yeah <laughs> and if you're not if you're not making enough profit you're either paying too much or you're renting at too little and it just seems to be, yeah. um, and like the the problem with that is, is that like we know locally, a lot of big companies use WeWork buildings as like additional spaces, yeah, yeah, because the economy is doing well and companies doing well and there's a bit of money around so they can, but you can be sure the minute business oh, contracts a little bit. They're going to say, it's, well... It's an easy cost to cut. <laughs> I know we were a bit packed in before, but you're going to be packed in more now. Yeah. And when it comes to it, companies will will put two desks where there should be only one. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you get that rid we of work your... expense, because you're not committing to them. It's a monthly thing. Yeah. So they're in a position now where they're frantically trying to raise money before their, their kind of cash funds run out. They've now obviously public opinions very much changed so yeah, investors like who, aren't looking who's got to go in and well. say I've got some money maybe yeah. we we work looks like a good bet yeah. it's, and then, it's, it's just like what kind of person is going to is going to do that yeah now um, I know the CEO has left so that all, often changes an investor's view but, yeah but, but I think even um, the article certainly I was reading people talk of a very toxic work environment now because they're waiting to hear you know t- 13 percent of of people it's um yeah. you know kind of one in six are are going to be out of a uh you're going to be looking at people going in and saying i'm better than yeah them. 
But like, if you um, imagine, like, I'd be very disappointed if this came up and like this would be a really good SBL case study. No, because thing. it's yeah, it's, it's and, uh, <laughs> and like you'd have the bad newspaper report, you'd have the IPO issue, you'd have everything. Yeah, and uh, I'd be very disappointed if any, if given all this information and if the question was would you recommend that to invest in this company and if any students said yes I'd be, yeah. very, I'd be very concerned and then I mentioned the scan they've had a few scandals the one that I read which I think came out today was like all these things they've they've interesting um, kind of props and quirks mm-hmm. and it turned out the phone boots that they had yes. had high levels of formaldehyde which are oh. carcinogenic or are uh, lead towards so they've had to um, withdraw all these phone boots from from all their different offices and now they're obviously yeah it's just brought that's just that's just insult to injury yeah it really is um, it's so they're continuing to make headlines on a weekly basis yeah because now you're just proving even the business that you're in that you want people to invest in you can't do properly basically and and yeah that's a I'm not too sure um, there's going to be people queuing up to share their cash with WeWork. Yeah, which isn't going to help their billions in losses a no, year. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's not looking great for WeWork. Uh, our next story um, is that thousands of fruit and vegetables are being left to rot in UK fields because of a shortage of packers and pickers. Farmers have reported a shortage of um, workers of up to 30% or more, uh, with some farmers having to shut down their operations six weeks early. This is kind of a combination of, of two things. One is government policies, um, which I think is seen. They used to have kind of um, seasonal visas for uh, people to come in from different parts of the EU. And then, obviously, <laughs> it always gets mentioned each week, but uh, Brexit is not helping matters with um, free movement of people, the fall in the price of the pound. It's not as worthwhile. So. Mm-hmm. Despite, I'm sure, it being um, thrown around as, you know, Brexit will be great for farmers, it'll keep money in the in the country and all that. But if Boris said so. It's yeah, okay. Boris, it's, it's, Boris Johnson said so. He was, he was sure of it. stamp of approval. Um, well, it's kind of, it's when you're that saying your chickens are coming home to roost, aren't they? Yeah. And if you're going to build a campaign on basically effectively keeping people out of your country, mm. um well, sorry, but it seems to have worked. <laughs> yeah, you can. And, and that it's and these are hard lessons to learn, and you do feel for the people involved in this. But um, yeah, it's one of those things that when you're when you're talking so much about the self interest of um, UK businesses, but so many of them rely on getting you know foreign workers coming yeah. in, that it's just not a sustainable model. And I think farmers are really feeling this pretty head on at the moment. I'm sure Boris is spending lots of time working with them and he's very concerned about them right now. I I have no doubt. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, you know, it's certainly not helping um, with public opinion, a, a number of things which which aren't doing that. But um, I suppose it, it is showing one industry that's really feeling the effects at the moment. And it is a, sh- and it is a shame that people who are producing stuff and their livelihood is based on it um, is being damaged, but you can't, as a country, they can't vote what they voted for and have no consequences, whether they were intended or unintended. These are unfortunately the consequences of the the path chosen, and some would believe that they'd be better off in the long term, and they'll they they'll suffer through this, and some people will suffer, but that the the UK would be better off in the long run. I guess we wait and see. Each week at the end of the show, we answer questions sent in by our listeners. 
You can send your questions in by email to podcast at learnsignal.com or tweet us at LearnSignal. So our question this week comes in from Instagram and um, we'd remind everyone if you do have any questions that you want featured on the podcast, you can you can send them in through Instagram or tweet us or get onto our chat support at any point. This comes from Rukshan who asked, um, tips or advice on doing two papers and the time needed for both? <laughs> I'll be honest with you, my, my, I have changed since we had a student this week who did four papers with I us know. and she passed them all. And um, if you are listening, well done, and we're really impressed. And it's the, I, I think if you had, if she had asked me that question, whatever, three or four months ago, I would have said never in a million years yeah. should you ever even <laughs> attempt it. And she definitely would have proved me wrong. But I would still argue that that's the um, exception rather than the rule. And I think taking two papers on, like there are some people who are good at exams. And you naturally pass exams and you're comfortable in, in that exam kind of situation and you know exactly how to present well and how to maximise your marks. But I think most people, I think those doing those two exams at the same time is a tough thing to do. Yeah, I think what it, this this comes up every week on the webinar. And I suppose my main point is don't sacrifice one subject for the other. Mm. So so you should almost look at each subject individually and if you can you know commit your full you know 12 week get through everything and be as prepared as possible for both that that's fine but it's when people are saying oh well i you know i won't do as much on that I, i'll only i won't do a, a mock exam for that because i'm doing one for the other when you're trading off yeah. between your preparation because you're doing two that's where you're you're not gonna you know you're you're not gonna be happy come results um, I, I do get everyone's circumstances different. We obviously do have our, you know, the, a hard fast rule, which not a rule, but um, a, a, I suppose a principle that if you focus fully on one exam and that's sitting and you get that, you're going to get through your exams Quicker. pretty quick. But I think, yeah, really it's, um, it's can you put, you know, enough into both? Look at it individually. Can I do everything required for my study, my preparation, my boot camp for both subjects and then maybe that that helps with your decision but you shouldn't be sacrificing doing mock exams you shouldn't sacrifice doing boot camps attending webinars you know mm. doing question practice there's no there's no shortcut that's probably the, the and, key I, point. and i think it's hard to give blanket advice because like are you working full-time do you have a family do you have lots of time in your hand do you have an easy job that you can study in like everybody if we put 100 students in a room um they all have slightly different circumstances. They all and so that's why it's it's a little bit different. But it's still like put it this way: a lot of students that fail an exam the next time they take it, they do worse, especially when they only fail for it by a small amount. Because what happens is they think, "Oh, I was really close. I don't have to do much work." Um, and the difficult think about it: if you did two exams and failed one of them, and then failed the next one again you've actually ended up taking longer than you would have if you just concentrated one at a time. So I guess our overall advice is what Connor has been saying is it's just um, take your time and do each one properly. And the amount of confidence it gives you not to fail an exam is great as well. The feeling of just knowing if I do it this way, I pass. And that momentum builds and you'll eventually you'll, it's only a year or two or three years. And compared to, I keep saying, to a 30, 40 odd year career, um, 
to get it done. And it's uh, again, these things are nice in an interview. No, ex- no, I don't think any interviewer is ever going to ask you about your exam results in your ACCA. But wouldn't it be nice to drop in to say, "Yeah, I passed my exam the first time." That that's a it's still a nice thing to say. It gives that feeling that oh, this person's committed. They're organised. They know what they're about. They know how to get the the job done. Basically, um. So there's lots of benefits to that. Okay, so we'll finish up there for today. Um, I suppose the key point we highlighted earlier was watch our exam report debrief videos. They'll all be going up on the site this week. And make sure you familiarize yourself with those because if you can understand um, what the examiner is looking for and not looking for, you're halfway towards getting that 50%. Um, So thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.